You're listening to Parenting in the First Three Years, the place where we explore the strategies and soul of parenting from pregnancy through the first three years of life. I'm your host, Ann McKittrick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey there, and welcome to today's show. Today I'm talking with Deborah Farmer Chris, who's a child development expert and founder of Parenthood 365 Good Sense for Parents. She's a parenting columnist and consultant for PBS Kids, and she's the author of the All the Time Picture Book series. Her work has been featured in the Washington Post, the Boston Globe Magazine, and Oprah Daily. Today we're talking about her book called I Love You All the Time, and it's a really great conversation about how we can help children feel loved even with the ups and downs of the just the everyday of life with a little one. We also really explore the idea of accepting yourself and loving yourself all the time as a parent, even when things go a little bit south. So I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. Here we go. Well, thank you so much for joining me on on this podcast. I came across you as I was discovering your book and and, um, the books that, you know, the, the one that is most recent, I believe, is that I love you all the time. Is that your most recent uh, I love time. you all the yeah. I love you all the time, and you have feelings all the time. Actually, came out on the same day in March. They were supposed to be different, but uh, you know, COVID delays, so they ended up having a book launch together. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that book. Like how it, how did it come to be? Tell us the story of it. So, I love you all the time has its roots when my daughter was two, and I had recently had my second child, and it was a really rough transition for her. And so it was kind of meltdown central at our house for a while. And during one of those emotional meltdowns, uh, nothing I was trying was working. And so I finally scooped her up and I took her upstairs to the rocking chair and I put her on my lap and I said, you know, I really love you when you're mad. And she stopped and she looked at me with this kind of bemused expression And so I kept going. I said, you know, I I love you when you're happy. And I love you when you're sad. I love you when you're scared. I love you when you're mad. I love you all the time. And she settled down and snuggled in. And that became my evening kind of ritual mantra with both of my kids for years and years was to go through that. And finally, you know, after many years of being a parenting columnist, I realized that there's a lot of parenting wisdom out there. But my favorite piece for me was that phrase, the I love you all the time. Because for me, it helps separate the behavior and the emotional ups and downs of the day from what I felt was the absolute most important thing I could communicate, which is that I am here, I love you, I am that anchor, I'm that stable person that you can rely on through your own ups and downs of life. And so That I think is one of the biggest struggles as parents and for kids is that our kids get triggered, we get triggered, and we want them to know we need to make that, that what we know in our hearts, what's implicit to us, really explicit to them that, yes, I'm frustrated that you stayed out too late or you broke my favorite mug or this or that, but my love is constant. So I'm going to help you through this. And I might have my own emotions as a parent. But ultimately, that is constant. And so that's why I decided to create I Love You All the Time. And because I work with Free Spirit Publishing, they do something at the back of all their books where you get to write a letter to caregivers. Uh, And so that's my sweet spot because I tend to write 800 to 1200 word articles anyway. 
And so the idea with all of these books is it's a book for parents and kids to read together. And then there's ideas for how parents can kind of take this further with their children at the end. Yeah. And I love that part of the book because you, uh, you're giving people very practical advice on how, how do you do this? How do you, Mm -hmm. how do you help a child feel loved all the time, even in the midst of really tough days? I mean, there are some really tough days when in parenting. And, um, I think that one of the things that happens, you know, this, this podcast is really directed at parents of children who are zero to three years of age. And so there's so much that happens in those three years, but there's one very specific thing that happens and it it affects the way that we talk to our child and the way that we even think about being a parent. And that is they move, you know, from this year one birth to 12 months, you know, everything is very nurturing. You are seeing this baby through all of these amazing developmental milestones. I mean, they go from a newborn who just really sleeps 20 to 23 hours a day to this walking, eating food, beginning to speak, but really, really communicating well person in such a really short period of time. But then in that second year, they begin to really turn to you and uh, with a, a bit of attitude, people call it the terrible twos. It's they're not terrible. They are really a great developmental um, milestone when a child learns they have yeah. that kind of authority. But when your baby's behavior changes like that, how do you suggest to parents that they respond to that? You know, it's, it's really hard not to get triggered by your child's emotions for a lot of reasons, right? Because I think we don't like the feeling of being out of control. So when we see our children, uh, perhaps, you know, having that meltdown in the produce aisle of Target, and we feel out of control, but just the way you can't force a child to eat or to pee on schedule, you can't force them not to have these. This is part of their growing. And so um, part is to realize is that at this age, their behavior is communication. That when they are doing this, they're not doing it ever out of malice or spite towards you. Their bodies are overwhelmed by big feelings and they don't have language for it yet. You know, that's why the second book, which is you have uh, feelings all the time is really about developing an emotional vocabulary because they can't put words to it yet. It's just, they have these big feelings and it comes out in their body. And I, my, one of my favorite phrases is from Mark Brackett. I'm actually working on an article right now for the Washington Post um, about discipline styles. And he's a director of emotional intelligence at Yale University. And he talks about how uh, it's very easy to become an emotions judge, especially when our, our kid is acting angry and we see angry as bad somehow, right? I need to stop that. Where what comes out as angry may be sadness or confusion or fear or stress. And that what we want to do is not be an emotions judge, but an emotion scientist to get really curious and be okay. So I'm noticing, and this is happening at about three o'clock every day. Do they need a snack a little bit earlier? What's their sleep schedule been like? Are they feeling overstimulated or overwhelmed? What are the things I can be doing and to help them what, what's, this is a great moment to try to teach a strategy. So maybe not in the moment, right? They're, first, you just got to help them calm down. But, oh, wow, you know, they're at the age, I can start talking to them about belly breathing because they have that language. And we can do that together. We can grab that teddy bear and put it on our tummies and practice that together when they're feeling calmer. And now when I see that they're having this new reaction, that's just a new opportunity to teach. And I think when we can kind of 
get rid of that inner sense that we're being judged or we're judging ourselves when our kids are somehow not looking like Instagram perfect kids. I think social media really contributes to this. It's totally normal. It's developmentally healthy for them to do this. So we step back and say, okay, we're the grown up. I can take my deep breath. I can settle myself and I can get curious about what are the things that I can try to do to help this little one grow up to be kind, compassionate, responsible. That's my ultimate aim. Um, I can get through this moment. And if I need to go take a breather and put them in a safe space, put them in their crib, it's totally fine. Like we're humans. So if we're feeling really activated, we're not going to be able to help our kids deactivate. So if we need to, you know, call in grandma to help at this moment so we can take that nap, I can do that because our kids are developing their relationship with emotions by watching us. So they need to see us taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's a, a great point. It reminds me of a story. I used to be the director of the university uh, lab school program at the University of Houston. And there was one teacher in particular, and she would just sometimes come to the office to come to my office with a child. And she would say, and I cannot be a good teacher to this kid right now. And, and can he visit you? <laughs> and so he would just come and sit in my office. And I had a, a, th- a thing I did with, with kids that got to come see me as the, uh, you know, <laughs> principal or something. Um, yeah. I would just say, you know, having a rough go. Yeah. I'm thinking about buying some new toys for the school. Would you look in this catalog and tell me which ones you like? Oh, and I, then I would, I would just give them a catalog and say, just let them, you know, flip through the pages and then ask them what they like. And they would tell me what they like about it. And after they were calmed down a bit, and it usually didn't take more than about seven or 10 minutes. I'd say, right. you want to go play with your friends now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go. And, you know, Everybody just needed a breather and to do something yeah. different and think about something different. It's absolutely true. And even when I was like a principal of a the system principal of a K-8 school, sometimes the middle schoolers, it was the same thing. Again, you know, it they didn't know why they were having this emotional reaction. And right. the great news is that when our, you know, I, I often use the glitter jar to show parents and kids, right? You shake it up, the glitter's there. That's what's going on in their brain when they're having mm-hmm. this oversized reaction. That's not the time to reason with them. That's the time to help them calm down. And they don't like how it feels. They don't usually mean to slam the doors or to yell or to throw. When they're all done, they're often very, very sad and sorry about how they reacted. So if we can kind of help that emotional response calm down, and it will calm down, which is a great message for parents too, is that they don't last forever. Like we can't stay at at peak upsetness for all that long, as you said. And that's true for both like our kids and for ourselves. Like if if we go and do something to take care of ourselves, that feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm feeling really angry at my child right now, which is also a totally normal response, right? We're human as parents. That's not going to last forever, but it is a sign you need to go do something to take care of yourself to regulate. So you can go back and be that calm and remind them that I love you all the time, even when I'm upset, even when you're upset. The makers of Sesame Street bring you their newest spinoff, Mecha Builders, starring Elmo, Cookie Monster, and Abby Cadabby. Join these old friends on new adventures as superheroes in training. There is no problem too big or too small for the Mecha Builders to solve. Don't miss the new show, weekdays at 8 a.m. on Cardinito, and now streaming on HBO Max. I love that term that you used a while ago, emotions judge, you know, where we are 
I, th- I think as parents, we just, we judge ourselves so strongly and um, probably more than, than anyone ever would even think of us as they are observing you in your, in your everyday life. But I just, I think about that inner voice and, and what I even still today think of, you know, tell myself about my parenting. I mean, my kids are grown and gone, but we just always have this inner critic who's telling us and, and saying things about us to us. So what is, what is your practice on that? How do you help your head stay positive about yourself as a parent? How do you silence your inner critic? Yeah, that is such a great question. I think it's something I've actually worked on a lot with my kids and in helping them, I've helped myself. Um, I remember that when my daughter was uh, about four, she was in transitional kindergarten. So she must've been four. She really had perfectionist tendencies and I know where she got them from. And she'd be really hard on herself. If anything, if she colored outside the lines, which I want her doing, right. But she was so hard on herself. And so I began to, um, again, sometimes, you know, it's desperation that brings inspiration. We began to share each day. I said, I want you every day to tell me a mistake you made. And I'm going to say, yay, like whatever it is. Like if you you know, spilled all over the floor. Fantastic. We're going to celebrate an oops every day. And so we extended that and we ended up creating a yay oops in the blah so that each day we would share something good that happened that made us happy, an oops, you know, a mistake and a blah, something that maybe we didn't do, but it didn't feel good, right? Maybe we're left out on the playground. And so this you know, I'm doing this for the kids, but I, I soon began to start thinking that, you know, I'd, I might, you know, overreact in the morning when we're trying to get, you know, uh, one of my favorite pages from, I love you all the time is, you know, um, I love you in the morning. I love you when we're running late, we rush and dash and scamper. I love you when you find your shoes behind the laundry hamper. I love you right. all the time because mornings can be really rough. And I would say, all right, I had my oops today already, right? I've had this. And, and sometimes I say, and my oops is your blah, right? I made that mistake and now you don't feel very good. And right. so we would start sharing these oops and blahs and yays. And we don't do that as much now that they're kind of tweens, but I find that my eight-year-old still sometimes will say to me, you know, mom, at bedtime usually, did you have a blah today? And I'll <laughs> think, and, and when I share something, it's his invitation to share his, you know, or his oops that day. And just mm-hmm. normalizing that, you know, am I having a bad day or am I having a human day? And so, you know, when I really challenge my kids to challenge their own self-talk to say, you know, is it, you know, um, I can't do it or I can't do it yet, or oh, I'm terrible at this, or I need to take a deep breath and come back to it and ask for help. You say that enough as a parent, you begin to actually start applying it to yourself. And so this is where like, really being, trying to be a responsive parent and trying to, you know, really use a language that I, you know, to be kinder to them, I think, than I am to myself is in some ways a reparenting exercise. You know, a lot of us didn't necessarily have parents who were super emotionally responsive and that wasn't their fault because their parents weren't super emotionally responsive. Right. Right, And You know, so some of this is kind of challenging our own language in our mind that we have carried around for a really, really long time. 
Mm-hmm. That is so true. So good. I love Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles, and I read a principle most every morning before I start my workday. And today's principle was about self-coaching and, you know, mm. and so he was talking about talking to your inner voice, your inner critic and saying, um, I'm not going to listen to your name calling, but I will listen to you. Tell me how I can do it better next time. Mm. And then just taking those those things that are that are true. You know, if you've lost it with your kid, that is true. You did do that. But instead of calling yourself a bad parent, let your your mind tell you what you can do next time. Next time that happens. And just like you were saying earlier, what are these patterns that are emerging? When do these tantrums happen? When does this, when do we have problems in our day? And what can I do before that time to make it better, to, to you know, to put things in a better state so that maybe it won't happen, you know? So yeah, um, I think that's a great point. Cause I think sometimes we're watching almost especially with birth to three, we're so closely watching the cycles of our children, their daily habits, their patterns, when they're napping, we're trying so hard to kind of create that routine for them. Sometimes it's to look and say, oh, well, what's the routine for me? What am I noticing about, you know, I began to notice when my kids are really young that I would have these huge dips about three o'clock, like the just emotional dive bombs Mm -hmm. that about, you know, four o'clock I would come out of, but it was, it was really intense. And I thought, okay, after a while of just dealing with this terribleness, what can I do to like, to, to, to circumvent that? Do I, is this the time for, you know, to put on Daniel Tiger and take a nap? Is this the time for a cup of tea? Is this the time to go outside and go on a walk with the kids? Got to experiment, right? But what I was doing during that time wasn't working for me emotionally. And it was setting up a very rough evening. Um, And, you know, looking back, I can see my sleep deprivation um, with my kid who had ear infections constantly until he got tubes. And that was contributing to, I think, a three o'clock emotional dip. And so, you know, I can grit my way through it, or I can say, oh, maybe this isn't my fault that I'm feeling this, but it is my responsibility to kind of look and see what to do with it now, you know, to notice. You know, Susan David, who wrote Emotional Agility, which is a book I love, she talks about this great verbal shift to go from I like I am mad or I am stressed to I notice that I'm feeling mad because it just gives a little bit of space to be like, you know, I notice that I'm feeling extra agitated right now. Like what's triggering that? Do I need some water? Do I need to move my body? The same things we might ask about our two-year-old, right? To apply right. to ourselves versus just like mad is consuming me. And to just give yourself that a little bit of grace and space to say, all right, I'm noticing I'm not at my best right now. What do I need to do for me right now? Because wow, like that's amazing teaching for our children. If they can see us puzzling through that, even talking it out aloud of I'm not feeling at my best right now. I'm going to go take the dog for a walk because I know that helps me feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is great. I can remember very distinctly as you, as you said that, that whenever our kids, we had three kids within four years. And so there were a lot of years of very heated <laughs> little kid parenting. And I remember that I noticed myself getting really depressed and by thinking about it and separating myself at, from it, as you are describing, I realized it was the music I was listening to. And I loved this album. I kept playing it and listening to it, but I realized that the, the lyrics to those songs 
were getting into my spirit and making me feel really sad. And so I just stopped listening to it and turned what I was listening to, what I was putting in the air, happier music, you know, and um, I love classical music as well. And so just even bringing a lot of beautiful music into the house really did help my spirits and my ability to cope in those, in those, um, in those moments. So um, I know we need to wrap this up, but I want to just say this about your book. Um, I love children's literature, and there are a lot of things about your book that people may not even realize are there, but I want to point them out. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Great. (laughs) Okay. So this book is full of great things for early literacy. One is it's got so much great rhyme and alliteration. You know, if you just every, every book, I mean, every page of it rhymes, and then you've got some repeating sounds. It's got such great rhythm and cadence. I mean, you could almost put a tune to the words of the page. Lots of great repetitive phrases. So when you're reading the book, you can just pause and your child will say those phrases every single page. Um, It's got beautiful, absolutely stunning illustrations. And within those illustrations, there's a cat on every house page but there's not a cat in the outside pages. And so that would lead to a whole nother conversation about where's the cat, finding the cat on every page. Well, why is the cat not in this page? Well, they're not at home. The cat has to stay at home because we can't take our cat to the soccer field. And then the the last thing I noticed is that I think that just reading the book as a parent, as a grandparent, as a caregiver, teacher, You are saying out loud to your child what you want to say, but sometimes don't say, you know, and and I think it's just almost like a mantra that that children need, that parents need, that a reminder that they are loved and a reminder to you that you love your child very, very well. You just forgot today. (laughs) And um, so, so if somebody wanted to find your book, where would they go to find it? You can get on Amazon, um, you can get it at Barnes and Noble, and you can call your local bookstore and have them order it because I love supporting independent bookstores. And I just want to, uh, to say, based on what you were just saying, I, I love that because I think that mantra, like that's what I want. All of my books are the parents speaking to the child and to just practice that kind of connection at night. Because for me, uh, you know, other than I love you all the time, one of my most often given pieces of parenting advice is one of the simplest and most pleasurable, which is reach your kids. And if you pick even one story at night, I, you know, religiously have read to my kids every night. And sometimes I'm not in the mood to read a story at the end of the night, but once I do, I realize we've left the evening connected. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what's happened that day, even that one picture book, that you read on their bed, you leave the day connected. And as Anna Green Gables would say, tomorrow is a fresh day with no mistakes in it. That is so true. Thank you. That is just um, a great way to end our time together. Thank you so much for being on this podcast and for sharing your your wisdom and your insight with parents. I know this is going to be really beneficial. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anne. If you loved today's episode, take a minute and subscribe to our podcast. And one last thing, I'd love to pray for you and your baby if you'd like for me to. You can email me at ask at nurturednoggins.com. Your request can be as simple as just one word, or it can include an explanation. Either way, you can trust that I will pray for you. 
It's a quiet, simple way that I can connect with you and your family and support you in your parenting journey. <laughs>